When we arrive, sons and daughters will make our homes on the water. We'll build our walls, aluminum will fill our mouths with cinnamon now. Hey everybody, welcome to Like David Project. This is John Campbell. I uh, got a couple of quick announcements, uh, exciting announcements. Next week, uh, we are, our church is sending a team to Haiti, and that includes myself and Matt. And so we're going to try our best to do the Like David Project podcast from Haiti next week. So be on the lookout. It may not be released as quick as we normally do, just because it's going to take some time to put them together and uh, try to find the technology and, uh, like I said, the time. Um, but we'll hopefully we get the time to record and then able to put it out at least by the time we get back, if not right when we do get back, which would be next Saturday or Friday, the 29th. So uh, be on the lookout, and there'll be Facebook posts and whatnot uh, announcing when it's going to come out and how to, how to get it. Um, other than that, we have a. Uh, it was myself, Eric, Matt, and James today uh, talking about protesting and uh, the church and how it, it all goes into place. Uh, just kind of adding on to the the commotion with the Occupy Wall Street. That was kind of the basis of our conversation. But it, it, like always, you know, we start one place and we end up in another, um, and it ended up being pretty good. So. Uh, hope you enjoy listening to today's podcast, and we'll see you next week from Haiti. So, this week during service, I noticed a couple times that you, Matt, mentioned that you know, I'm, I'm not sure to quote correctly, but some you mentioned uh, protesting, or we're kind of alluding to protesting, like we don't need to. I can't remember what he said, but something along the lines of waste our time, you know, out there yelling and screaming with signs and whatnot. Um, my question is, what, does that mean that a Christian can't protest? And just by accident, did you mean something by that more than that? Yeah, it was uh, a pretty offhand comment, and I know that uh, a couple people have, have asked me about that. I don't think I used the, the term waste my time protesting, but I think that might have been what I, what I was hinting at. Um, that there's a lot of, like this Occupy Wall Street movement, that's, that it's taken a lot of time. And I know these things aren't necessary, uh, or let me, if you have a cause, it requires an investment of your time to see something happen. Like that, that those protesters aren't going to get anything done by showing up one day and then wandering away the next. But what I was trying to say in my sermon, it wasn't even a criticism necessarily of any particular movement. But we all are in a position right now where we need to take action. My point was, let's take action in the ways that we have been called to take action, which is to love people and to serve people, to be about our Father's business, to to have a kingdom mindset. And so that's why I referenced those things, because there are people these days that just want to get up and join in with the the movement, because it seems fun and exciting, but... But I, I just feel like the call in our church is not to get involved in that political debate, but to be about kingdom business. And that should take precedence right now. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, and, and I think that came across fairly clear. Um, at least it was clear to me that you were you were kind of contrasting um, the heart of the church versus uh, what are some of the other opportunities out there to get involved with things. And the heart of this fellowship, specifically Cornerstone, is and this point this this part of it you made so perfectly clear and, and spoke toward um, is that we're going to reach out one person at a time person to person. We're going to find that hurting person, that person in need. We're going to build relationship. We're going to build community through that. Um, and, and we're going to affect our city in that way. Um, but almost contrasting that against um, the opportunities to go out and, and take part in something, not necessarily um, putting my name on it, but the Occupy Wall Street or some of these other things that come up. You know, really what's going to be the the active function of, of this church. Um, but in that, I, at least I walked away feeling uh, pretty confident that I heard what you were what you were saying, what you were getting at. But even with that being said, it, it did lead uh, to some good conversations between my wife and I. And, well, what at what point do we as a church step into a movement of some type, if you will, or um, and even more than that, when do we allow our political voices to be heard? Should we as Christians? Should we even give time to that? And if so, what should it look like? And, and those are kind of the, the discussions that, that have stemmed from that message Sunday, at least for us in our home. Yeah. it's a good question. <laughs> I know that even in Jesus' day, there was confusion about it because whenever he was talking about the kingdom, they all thought it was the expansion of the Roman Empire, which was, that's culturally what was going on and societally at that time and they thought he had come to establish a new kingdom which you know he what he had he was but they hadn't made the paradigm shift yet in their minds of oh the kingdom of god is not at all like this kingdom at all and i just think that there there's always been confusion and there's going to continue to be confusion unless people stand up and articulate and let people know exactly what they're talking about by defining terms uh, actions that kind of thing so no offhanded comments that are left hanging without much explanation except it did spark debate which is which is always good well, and, know, and what did he mean by that well it leaves a loop they use an opening for more discussion on it yeah I mean, it's good I, don't, I didn't see it as an offhanded comment I just saw it as you know, so let's talk about that more. Let's, you know, let's drill down into that some. You know. Should a Christian be? <laughs> so the next question is: Yeah, should a Christian should a Christian be involved in that kind of demonstration like the one going on right now? And I would say this: I would say that there are a number of Christians who have lent support and endorsed the Occupy movement. Jim Wallace is one that comes to mind, and he's politically active. He's little left wing of mainstream for a lot of people but I believe that he knows Jesus Christ I believe that he's a Christian he has endorsed that movement so no I don't think it's wrong and I'll state that I don't think it's wrong for anybody if they feel the that their conscience has driven them to make a stand on something important I think that they should get involved with something that they think is you know that important that would cause them to make a sacrifice uh, of their time and of their comfort. Yeah. Not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. 
So I think those things are good. But I do believe that we in this church, we should have a kingdom focus. That's what God is looking for right now from us. And that is not going to be accomplished by joining in with the way that the rest of the world does things. Is that fair to say? I mean, that almost sounds like I'm negating what I, my previous comment that that demonstration is not a kingdom-oriented thing. But I would say it's not what this church is called to do, necessarily. It's not a stand that we're going to endorse. I'm not going to speak against it. I'm just going to say that we, we have a call in our lives to look out for the people that others are not looking out for. I would say it like this. There is... There are certain people that have just that passion and that burning desire for certain issues. You know, the Christian Coalition, headed by Pat Robertson, they're not doing much these days, but there was a time in the 80s when they were a force of nature in the political realm. Uh, There's been different movements, anti-abortion movements, headed by people, you know, and keeping it on the positive spin, uh, I think there are certain people that will become the head of that movement, that will be the main orator or the main vision caster for that movement, and there will be a lot of people that will be involved with that. I know that there are a lot of different churches that seem to have unique and specific callings, you know, whereas some churches might have a call to a neighborhood or a region or a zone, and there's other churches that will have a specific call to to feeding the homeless or Habitat for Humanity or, uh, you know, any, any one of the many social issues. And I think what happens is there is a person who's at the head of that, who's leading it, who's speaking, um, like, for example, in the book of Revelation, where it's speaking to the angel of the church when it's talking about the different churches, that term there is like the person who's leading that church. And, and, and I believe that there is a person who's driving the bus, so to speak, at every local church that God raises up. And I think the reason you say the things you say is because this is what's on your heart. And as you say those things and lead in those directions... You're going to produce after like kind. There's going to be people that are going to come around that identify with that. Whereas if you've got people who just all they ever want to do is go picket abortion clinics, they would they might find another church that's more dialed into that because the angel of the church or the pastor of the church is speaking about that all the time. It comes out in his language. It comes out in everything that he does because he's so passionate about that. Thank you. I think that's a good way, good way of saying it. That yeah, it's just about it's about what our church is called to. It's not. We're not saying that there is nobody yeah. that can do that. Part of the discussion that's come up with my wife and I is um, even moving a little bit away from the the church as a body. What church are we a part of? And and almost more into a, a an area of personal conviction. Um, you know, government takes place at federal level, state level, uh, community level, um, all the way across. And there are these these big uh, banner causes, you know, and you've touched on one, abortion. And, um, 
huge groups and these prominent Christian leaders getting behind that and these large churches and um, uh, same-sex marriage has been a hot button Mm -hmm. for a number of years now. Um, But what about for the Christian? What what about the smaller thing that happens at a community level? What about a homeowner and father like myself that has three young men, three young boys, and two blocks away, they're trying to put in a uh, gentleman's club, a topless bar, whatever you want to call it. Um, And it takes a political turn because you're going to have hearings at the local government level. Now, for me as a Christian, um, I'm not in support of that, just ethically speaking. It goes against my virtues. I I don't want that anywhere near. As a father... I don't want that in the area of my boys, uh, for my boys to experience at their young age. Um, As a homeowner, I don't necessarily want the traffic that might bring into my area, into my neighborhood. So along those lines, where does a Christian step into that? Uh, You know, here I am. I don't agree with what's happening. It's got a political slant to it. How do I step into this? How do I allow my political voice to be heard? And what is appropriate and what is overstepping my boundaries and maybe trying to um, uh, command convictions in others, if you will. Those are kind of some of the discussions that we've been having. I, I would, my first reaction would be that, that that's one of the boundaries right there, that if you can feel conviction and you can make it your cause, and if you feel that you have to take action, I think you have a responsibility to do something. But if you then mandate that everybody else should think the same as you, because we're all Christians, that's where you cross a line into, in, you know, to making it. Uh, and I'm not saying you personally. I just mean that's where a line is crossed in people's lives, to where we we begin to make it unclear. Well, this Christian says they should do this, and this Christian says they should do that. Well, can they both be right? Or is one of them wrong? Well, the truth is they can both be right because they both had the conviction of their conscience for, in a particular area, driving their actions. But then it may not carry over, you know, into the whole population. Yeah. It's one of those both and rather than either or. Yeah. Well, I think Paul dealt with that too in Scripture where he was talking about the meat sacrificed to idols and whether mm-hmm. to eat it or whether to not. And... and um, not allowing my convictions to become a stumbling block for somebody else. Yeah, it's not a new issue by any means. Obviously, Paul was dealing with it in the in the church way back when. Yeah. But um, so, in that particular issue, say you wanted to take action against that gentleman's club being instituted, if you began to make a stand against it, you would find people rallying to your cause. The mistake we make is it's not always the people we want or the people that we would choose to work with. But if you use the people that you discover have the same passion for it and the same desire for it, then you can accomplish something. But if somebody's not on your side, it'll be hard to convince them as well. Uh, and I just say that that's a mistake we sometimes make. We think that everybody should or that we want certain people to help us and we may not get anything accomplished because we're not looking out for the right uh, support yeah. around us. Yeah. Um, the other side of that that story, though, is the example of Francis Chan, if, if you follow him. Um, he left his church a few years ago, big church, really successful, Southern California. He left his church because he felt God calling him and his family to, that they had become too comfortable in their large church uh, surroundings. 
um, and he spent a while traveling to the Far East, and then recently set up in San Francisco, moved his family to San Francisco, and he has uh, three small kids, and not just to any part of San Francisco, but to one of the worst parts of San Francisco, that where there's crime and there's there's sex trafficking and there's uh, drug abuse and just you know inconceivable that anybody would choose to take their three small children there but he felt the conviction that that's what the Holy Spirit was telling him to do to go somewhere that somebody else nobody else would be willing to go for the purpose of the kingdom and to to, to be an example to be a light in the darkness and he is willing to make that stand as an example to, to every Christian. Not everybody's going to have the same call, but there will be others that will follow that same call. And so they would be willing, I mean, even if the gentleman's club doesn't get built in your neighborhood, they would be willing to go to those places for the sake of reaching the, the lost. I mean, it's the lost that are in those kinds of establishments that need the kingdom of God the most. And somebody's got to be willing to reveal it to them there. That's kind of uh, just because uh, the line it wasn't clear in my head. So, <laughs> when when is it too much though? When when a Christian expects, obviously it's not appropriate if you had a cause like that to go to your church and be like, okay, you're all with me because this is obviously right, and just assume people want to be with you on whatever cause that is. Obviously, you wouldn't want to go that direction. But what? When is it too much? Like, when have you put too much into whatever cause you're doing? And when is it not enough? You know, it's just there's a, like, Egypt with the revolution that went through a year ago or within the year. You know, there's a lot of people that got hurt and fought, literally fought. Were they in the wrong? They're being suppressed. What Christians there, should they embrace that and protest like that? Or should they stand aside and let other people do it. Yeah. Well, the same people that were trying to get rid of the governments are now attacking the Christians in Egypt. Right. And, you know, and, and do the Christians fight back for their own protection? I think so. Yeah. If they're, you know, if, they're, if my family was <coughs> threatened, I would do whatever I could. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For my family. Yeah. I, I'm sitting here thinking about this and trying to figure out what it is I'm feeling and thinking inside and Eric, I like the concept that you brought up of, you know, government works at the national level and the state level and the local government level. And, you know, I tend to boil things down to that grassroots level for my life just because having had spent some time in the past involved with some different movements, quote unquote, and spending a lot of time involved networking with people, reading, studying, going, being there. And at the end of the day, feeling kind of empty about it all. Uh, Now, years later, I've kind of even changed my view of Christianity some in that I feel I just kind of have come to the place where I feel like I can do more for the kingdom of God involved at a lower level or a rather than a big movement level I can be I can do more for the kingdom involved at an individual level because the kingdom of God is built on relationship and I would rather for me it works better for me to connect with 
people at a conversational or living uh, level, one person at a time, one family at a time, rather than going and spending a lot of my time marching and protesting and, and those kinds of things. You know, so I, I, I know we've already kind of brought up the idea it's kind of a personal choice. You have to make your choice. And there's some people that are passionate and they're called to that. And, and I currently am kind of involved in a movement. I believe in a movement that that God wants to raise up worshipers and musicians all over the world to sing a new song unto the Lord. And so that's the movement I'm giving my time to, but I'm doing it at an individual level. I'm not really expecting high-velocity traffic, you know, at, at, at a major, you know billboards and signs and you know 10,000 people marching down the streets toward the National Monument I, I'm not s sensing it like that I think it's going to happen more at the micro or macro level whichever one it is micro yeah micro getting a ukulele into the hands of someone getting a ukulele into the hands of another person and a, a lot of people around here now playing ukulele I, I was thinking about it the other day I was thinking well, I did. I got a ukulele. I started talking about ukulele. And now there's a bunch of ukulele players around. And I, you know, I talked to three different people last Sunday about ukulele. And it's like, okay, so there's some momentum there. Is that a movement? Well, it's a small movement, but it is a movement nonetheless. <laughs> you know? And so for me, I just get more out of being involved at a smaller level the days of picketing and abortion clinics and stuff, that, that's not for me. And the people who do, God bless them. But it's not for me. You should play ukulele for picketers. Yeah. <laughs> hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. What you doing is wrong. <clears throat> I, I remember an old proverb that says, when I was a young man, I set out to change the world. But when that proved too hard, I decided to change my country. And after working hard for years and I couldn't do that I decided to change my city yeah. and when that proved too hard after years of struggle I thought maybe I can change my family yeah. and when I, as an old man I realized that if I had started with myself I yeah. might have had an influence on my family and my yeah. family together with me might have affected my city and once the city had changed the country might have followed and once the country was 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 right then yeah then we might have had an impact on the world yeah Exactly. You know, and that's kind of what I walked away from last week as, as I've thought about it over the course of the week. We, we talked so much about the two parties and the differences, the vast differences between the two parties. And, you know, how do you, how do you possibly change that? Is there, a, is there an opportunity to change that? Um, knowing that they're not making any headway. Both sides are screaming. Nobody's really pulling anyone onto their side. It just seems that, that the two parties are going more extreme in a lot of ways. But that left me thinking, how do you bring about change? Really long-lasting, substantial change. And, and the thing that I came up with, and, and I think probably as an educator you'll appreciate this, it starts with education. You, you can't come beating through the doors. There's no amount of picket signs that are going to force somebody into doing what you want them to do. You might be able to manipulate the situation for a little while. Um, you know, if you scream loud enough, some people might do what you want them to until you leave the room, and, and then that pressure is gone, and then they're going to go back to doing what they want to do anyway. Yeah. The, the real difference comes in, really, I think you just put it well, starting with myself yeah. and starting with my family and, and um, 
you've talked a lot about it too, James, a, a, a Christian thinker. Yeah. And even that, it, it really, when you boil that down, it, it, you have to come back to a place of educating or yeah. re-educating in some, in some places. Um, and, and I think that even kind of carries over into this conversation this week, at least for me it does. Um, I'm not the big picket carrier. I'm not into those big causes. Um, I, I completely believe in the, the heart of this church, one-to-one, yeah. reaching out to one person uh, and having that impact because there is an opportunity there for, for yeah. personal change and, and even education along Christian lines. Yeah. Um, and that's what has the, the long-term change or, or brings long-term change, I think, is a, a shift in thinking. But then what's the other extreme? So what do we do as Christians? Do we only speak with our vote? Um, do we vote at all? Do we only speak with our vote? Is there a time that, that we, we stand up as, as a community, or as individuals or a community, and at least allow our voices to be heard? Um, or do we just wait for all the primaries and for the world to determine who they want to run for office, and then we just put our vote on them if, if we accept? I mean, where, where, is that, where is that balance? What does that look like? Oh, I think that we use our vote. Uh, to vote for our, our conscience, for our moral beliefs, for our, the ethical system that, that we like. But I also believe that we don't fear the outcome of any particular election. And I, we don't fear the results. We don't fear that the wrong person gets in. Because if you don't vote, you don't have a say. I, I understand that. And we need to have our say. We need to do... Do be responsible ourselves to be a part of the process, to not be outside of it. But then we have to be okay with the results. And Christians are not going to get what they think they want all the time. We have to have the mindset is God is sovereign in affairs of men and nations. We operate from that perspective, and we do the things that we can as a you know we have a responsibility as a citizen of the United States, a, a democracy, to vote. So we should exercise that right. We should be able to do that. But unfortunately, we're talking about movements like Occupy Wall Street, and so we've brought up some of the other hot buttons over the last 10, 20 years in Christianity that have galvanized people. And it's really done a lot of harm. I mean, if you look at it from the idea of galvanizing positions and pitting people and causing division, the Bible's very clear about not causing division, but it's caused a lot of division. And there's been, because it always attracts a human element, when there's, uh, uh, there's that crowd psychology that pumps in sometimes, and people will not be acting under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, but under their own flesh, and they'll do things like shoot doctors in the name of God, and they'll, you know, they'll, there's, there's just all kinds of craziness that happens in that, in that kind of a, a movement. And if we're thinking long range, if we know that the kingdom of God is advancing slowly but surely, like, uh, like, like leaven in a loaf, when we when we're aware of that and we become aware of our own responsibilities, hopefully we won't become an old man until we figure out, wow, if I had changed myself, I could have changed my family and my family could have changed those around us. You know, Hopefully we'll get to that faster. Yeah. Because right now in the whole, you know, Occupy, all, all that kind of thing, it's like 
whoever speaks the loudest and the longest wins. You know? Yeah. And that's that's not the kingdom of God advancing. Because my sheep hear my voice. I think there's a, a gentle stream of the Holy Spirit that speaks in such a way that someone cannot be a Christian, but the truth of God just goes right into their heart as you're just talking and sharing and, and fellowshipping. And uh, it's the Holy Spirit that draws man unto himself. Mm-hmm. Not movements. You don't necessarily, <clears throat> at that point, have to move under the banner of a Christian movement. Yeah, yeah. And I think... There's there's some fault in saying what you know what should we do as Christian or, or saying our vote or something like that because we need to recognize that it's not a un, unified thing. I mean there are things that are according to the Bible right and wrong and undisputable, but there's a lot of different viewpoints with even within Christianity. So it's hard to speak. How can we speak for everybody and say this is what you have to do? And that's why it's kind of. It doesn't mix when you're, when you're talking about politics sometimes with Christianity because there's so many different viewpoints within Christianity on a, on a lot of things that you, and when you talk for somebody or say this is the way well this is what you should believe or this is what you should do not only are, is that wrong but then you I mean you're also offending that person for what they believe in potentially too can I give you an example of that and I sorry to make it political again but I read a really Interesting op-ed piece on CNN.com today by L.Z. Granderson talking about in the Republican primaries, at least three of the candidates, and if I get it correct, I believe it's Herman Cain, Rick Perry, and Michelle Bachman, but it, it might have been one of the others, and I apologize if I get it wrong. But all three of those candidates have very publicly said in their campaigns that they felt God has told them to run in the primaries. So L.Z. Granderson's point which I thought was fascinating, was how do we handle that? How do we handle that these three people? Because the assumption is, well, if God told me to do it, then I'm going to win. And so his point is, how can they all be, how can they all win? Well, you know, on the outset, and he didn't mention this, I thought, well, God might well have told all of them to run without the promise that they would all win for for. To begin with, they, they were all necessary as part of the process. But the implication behind their statements is that I am the chosen candidate almost. And it's really a political ploy dressed up as a Christian statement because you're trying to garner support for yourself. And that was his criticism of those statements. It seems just like a cheap trick to say that God has told you to run because you're hoping that all those Christians will say, oh, well, he's a good Christian, yeah. I'm going to vote for him. But there's a real, we can all see the real danger in making that statement, especially if it is for political purposes. And he likens it to athletes on opposing team both praying yeah. for victory. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Both football teams always pray. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I thought that hits it right on the head there. Yeah. That, because, and, and what it all comes down to in the end is a misconception about God and how God operates and how God speaks to us and what God's purpose is for our life. Because God, my first point is really the truth. God may well have told all of them to run and they they could be perfectly honest in their declaration, but obviously God is not expecting that all three of them will be successful in their campaign. So maybe it's our understanding of how God operates that's wrong and what the outcome will be. And the erroneous overlaying of that 
thought, that idea, that paradigm onto someone else. Yeah. Or trying to create something that's not there. Yeah. You know, we were talking the about... The implication that a vote for them yes. is a vote for God's yes. chosen yeah. candidate. I mean, Herman Cain even used language saying he felt like God called him like Moses to lead the people. Well, that gives a pretty good indication of what he feels like the outcome is going to be. Yeah. 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 So, sorry. To, no, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the same. And, and, you know, what's, and what's the story of Moses leading the people? It's really a story about Moses figuring out things about God, you know? And, and I've kind of got to a place in my life where it's anything that God tells me to do, I, in obedience, go there. But I don't pre-presume what the outcome is going to be. All I know is I'm going into an event. I'm going into a situation where God wants to teach me something. And if I'm aware of that, I know that he's going to teach me and train me for righteousness, for his sake. He's going to develop perseverance. He's going to, you know, all the fruits of the spirit. He's going to develop those things in me. And I'm just obedient to walk in that place. So these three different candidates, they may be pre-presuming erroneously, I'm going to win. When in actuality, God did speak to them and said, I want you to remember, because I got a lot of pride I got to get out of you. I got a lot of haughtiness I got to get out of you. There's things in your life that I'm going to bring to the surface and expose, and I'm going to speak to you about them. And if you don't get them done privately, I'm going to take it into a public forum because I love you so much and care about you so much that I, I want to save you from that. You know, it's just like you're gonna be broke. Yeah. Take all your money. Away. <laughs> well, there's such a fine line between faith and presumption. I think. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. faith. Faith says yes. God. God has called me. I've heard the voice of God. I, I believe that I, I'm stepping in faith, knowing that this is where God has me to be. But it's that presumption when we cross over to presumption yeah. and we say, "This is why God has me here because yeah. I'm going to do this and this and this." Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's what happens when they put that out there like that. I, I think it's crossing, uh, maybe sincerely it started in faith, yes, hearing sincere, from God. Yes, but sincerity. at some point, it's crossing over into presumption. Yeah. E- even whether or not it's even, I don't even want to distinguish, is it happening at the personal level in their own heart? Or is this just absolutely the political ploy? But it's taken on a face of presumption. That I heard from God, so now I'm going to win this. I need your vote. Yeah. You know, right. And, and you're, you're mandated to vote for me because I heard from God. Yeah. And this columnist identified the presumption because he, it's that. It's like these people are impl- implying that, uh, that they need your vote because they're God's, God's choice. But then you're, then you're trying to figure out which one is the right one. So. And, and the sad part is there will be a lot of people like sleep, the sheep being led to the slaughter, who will go do it just because that was said, because they're not Christian thinkers to be able to figure out on their own, hey, you know, God bless that brother for doing that and feeling and sensing yeah. that. And you go for it, but I'm going to pray and seek the Lord, and God's going to give me a sense and a feel for what I'm supposed to do in the voting booth or at the societal level or governmental level or family level, wherever. Yeah. If God wanted to pick somebody for a primary and wanted everybody to vote for him, he would make it known himself. He doesn't need that person to tell him God told him. You know, like it just seems ridiculous to me. Well, and, and, and to, to argument that thought, he never would because he doesn't care. Exactly. God does not care about politics I think at Jesus all. Made that pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. Render to Caesar. Yeah. What Caesar's yeah. render unto God? What's God's? Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I was going to ask, and and I'm asking, I'm asking a lot of questions today because really this has been an area of, of thought over the last couple of weeks. It really has, as I've said, it's it's spilled over into conversations with my wife and I, and and even some other friends, and and we're just trying to figure out, you know, we're kind of killing some sacred, some some, some religious sacred cows in our lives, if you will, and and redefining some things and, and uh, thinking through some things as Christian thinkers and realigning our, ourselves in places where we feel God would have us to do that. This has been a huge area for us politically. Um, I, I know I alluded to it last week that, that I was the I was the staunch Republican and my wife even led in this. All of a sudden she was identifying herself as an independent, not because she identifies with an independent party, but because she is more of an independent Christian thinker, has grown in that. And I've come along uh, and let some of my uh, some of these types of things we're talking about today and these party politics and this hard line allowing somebody else to, to dictate the movement if you will moving under the banner of a movement yeah. um, and so I'm asking these questions more because I'm going through this thought process and my next question was going to be what well, you know do Christians even have a place in, in Washington yeah. really and, and John I think you kind of answered that for me you know, before I even got to it, and you brought up a really good point that I just kind of want to bring back to the surface, and that is, you know, when these groups go into Washington or wherever they may be, whatever their platform is, but I, I guess we're talking politics, so we'll talk there, um, and they they come in as the Christian voice. You know, this is the Christian voice. Um, that can create problems for me, and I never realized that. If, if there are some differences, doctrinal differences, theological differences, whatever the case may be that I have personally, but they're out on a platform nationally saying this is the Christian way, this is the Christian belief, this is what the Christian vote says, and now I've got somebody coming to me and I, I'm saying, I don't necessarily agree with that. You know, I'm not a part of that group. I'm not a part of that group. Well, you're a Christian. That's the Christian vote. And I think that's an inherent problem. And I hadn't really thought about it till now, but I, I think that that might be an inherent problem with, with Christianity taking that large step into politics, is that it it mandates almost before other people what I'm supposed to believe in, and now everybody automatically associates me with whatever that group is, whatever they say, whatever their movement, whatever they do. You know, we we've seen the extremists that you talk about mm-hmm. going and kill doctors at, at abortion clinics yeah. in the name of God. Yeah, yeah. Well, as a Christian, that's not the, that's not yeah. something I would ever take part in or, or, or agree with, condone in any way. But I know that there are some out there who look at Christians and would identify all Christians by that single act. Exactly. And that's and that's how it's hurt the advancing of the kingdom of God. Yeah. It has. And the old phrase that if you live by the sword you die by the sword too, the the secondary problem is that once once the nation or the politics becomes aligned with Christianity, then Christianity becomes responsible for the political outcome of something as yeah. well. Yeah. You know, you have to take the good with the bad. And there's there's gonna be bad as a result of politics and the church aligning themselves. And so, so the, the same same thing happened in England. Um, the church was nationalized. There was a institutional belief that to be British was to be was to be Christian and chosen by God. And then when the British were held accountable for some of the the horrible things that you know that have been done in the name of the state. Suddenly, mm-hmm. the church was implicated in all of that, and I'm I'm being vague, but I'm 
for example, you know, the, the huge loss of life in the First World War was absolutely devastating to the British psyche, mm-hmm. to British families. I mean, millions of men were lost, fathers were lost, and yet they had gone into that war believing that it was that they were fighting for the church and fighting for God. And, you know, the the damage done to the psyche by huge loss of life when you feel, when it was a belief that God would win the day for you was pretty devastating. And because the church had aligned themselves so closely with that belief, it did huge damage to the church as well. People abandoned the church. It wasn't just over that, but that was certainly a catalyst for it. That they abandoned the church because they didn't want to be associated with that. And so there is a there is a danger, and if you don't learn the lesson of history, you're doomed to repeat it. So yeah. <laughs> that's where we find ourselves now, you know. And how closely do we, the Christians, take a stand on things? I would my 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 family history, my you know my history says be be careful, be careful about that. That might be kind of the groundswell movement of what God is doing. He's wanting us to. I'm sure that the English people, you said the damage to the psyche, which would cause a regrouping and a rethinking and redeploying, maybe that's part of what God's doing in Christianity. He's wanting us to see that there are certain things, you know, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. It might be, you know, we're having to learn, let God be true and every man a liar. Maybe we're having to rethink some of these things so that we can get about the Father's business. You know, if we realize that there are different, three different realms of government. There's the there's uh, the civil government, there's the church government, and there's the family government. And those areas do not have the right to overstep the bounds of the uh, of the others. And sometimes we get this mixing. You know, we talk about the separation of church and state. You know, maybe that's actually a good thing. If there is a maybe that's the biblical as that's the way it should be. There's supposed to be a separation of church and state, not to keep us out of it, but to help us realize there are certain areas. As a father, I have authority in my family, but that that authority does not go over into your family or your family or into civil government or into the church government. In the church, there's a government of elders and and apostles and prophets, evangelists and teachers, and there's a realm of authority, but that doesn't go over into someone's home. I I don't think that leaders in the church should be telling people and their families what they should be doing, and we see that craziness going on as well, you know. And then the area of the civil government, just because it's right for my family or right in our church doesn't necessarily mean it's right in a civil government uh, setting. And maybe God is wanting us to really look at some of those things because maybe we are expending so much energy and time and man hours and uh, money fighting issues that really have nothing to do with the advancing of the kingdom of God. God wants to heal and save and deliver. And if we were setting all of our resources to connect with people at the individual level, at the family level, so that people will be healed and saved and delivered and brought into wholeness, maybe the end result is the kingdom of God would really... Uh, advance more, and if we started working at that level, people would stop getting abortions. People would stop uh, spending all the taxpayers' money on frivolous, crazy things that create uh, Wall Street unrest. Because and people would be able to start coming in to these different areas, to, to civil government, whether it be local or national or whatever, not under a banner, 
not under a banner proclaiming this is the Christian movement, yeah. but coming in with a different heart, yeah. coming in as a different type yeah. of thinker, a Christian thinker, yeah. bringing values that they're acting on their values. They're not proclaiming values yeah. and trying to rally people, but they're coming in and they're actually uh, putting that to work on a very personal level. It's really happening. And, yeah, and I was just sitting here, I, I'm thinking back and over some of these past few pack, uh, podcasts, you know, and this... This almost seems to be a recurring theme, kind of that we're dealing with. And I think back to when we were talking about: Does a Christian have to use somebody who's a Christian businessman? You know, mm-hmm. we've got the Christian directory. Do we only use that exclusively? And and um, do we lead with that Christian name? And we talked about it last week with politics and and coming in under these Christian movements. And today, the Christian movements. And you know what what I'm learning and, and hearing and kind of redefining in myself is that. Um, no, I, I shouldn't be leading with that. Yeah. I, I shouldn't be yeah. leading with that. I should be be leading with personal conviction, and that doesn't happen by aligning myself to a larger group or allowing somebody to tell me what I should believe in. That happens in my relationship with Christ and in personal relationship yeah. with other believers in community. Um, and and if that is is really happening in my life, I don't necessarily need that banner to be out under, but I can step out one on one, like as the heart of this church, and can begin to have an impact. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that God has really been dealing with me on. Yeah, but societal change. You kind of talk about societal change. How does society change? Does it happen in mass, or does Not it happen at the individual no. level? So, for example, if we were as Christian leaders actually pouring our lives into people and people were becoming set free and healthy and whole and families were becoming vibrant with the life of Christ and things were happening, would there be a need for abortion clinics and gentlemen's clubs and all? Nobody would go to them. And if they weren't making any money, they, would, they wouldn't be around. So societal change is going to have, have a salt, like salt and light on a hill on a bushel basket and and living in the loaf, it's going to societal changes happens at that level, and that's where I want to invest my time. Mm-hmm. I want to invest my time there. Yeah, and it, you know, it's going to happen in time and on earth. It will happen. Yeah, yeah. I think that was really true and smart to lead with personal conviction. So I was just thinking about picketing or these movements and. It seems really selfish to pick it because they're all. This is what I want. I want. I want. You know. And uh, and a country so driven by being selfish, uh, personal conviction is a definite, probably go-to way to lead things instead of I want this. I need this now. You know. Yeah. So. And and there have been some other things challenged even, and I think they're the byproducts of movements like this. It, it's been challenged the impact. Um, that they are having, but not necessarily the impact they want to have. Um, The impact on the parks and the local economies of where they're going. I I heard somebody say this morning, you know, this, yeah, it's great. I I agree with them in, in principle. But now my tax dollars that I pay are going to fund what they're doing and staff and what they're tearing there's a park that's being torn up and all of these things and and so I, I think that just goes on that selfishness moves on we can get so caught up in the cause that 
we can step into becoming very mm-hmm. selfish and having an, an, an unhealthy impact on others around us and never even give that a second thought because mm-hmm. we're so wrapped up in what we want through the movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you've like put your finger on the pulse of something here, selfishness. You know, I, truly a kingdom subject understands I have no rights. And picketing and a lot of the crazy stuff that goes on out there is asserting our rights, you know. And as a citizen of the kingdom, we, we lay down our rights. You know, we, we sing that song about I'm giving up my rights. I surrender, mm-hmm. you know. And I think the more as we mature as Christians and as we press into the Holy Spirit of God, I think the more we realize at a family level, as fathers and husbands, you know, as church community people, the more we lay down our rights and not assert our rights, but yield and surrender to those that are around us, our families, our children, our our wives, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that breaks down all those barriers. And that's one of the reasons the kingdom of God looks different than every other kingdom. Because there's not the assertion of rights. There's actually the assertion of, I have no rights. And the assumption of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Godly responsibility, which yeah. I shared something with Matt after first service yesterday. And I, I went back and was spending some more time in that scripture. Um, but, but that's kind of what I was pulling out of it. You know, in Second Corinthians, God said that he takes care of us and ministers to us. Uh, you know, Matt was talking about the mandate to yeah. go out into the world. And, um, he comforts us. So that we can comfort others in the same way that he's comforted us. And there's a mandate in there. But in that, and what I got was getting from that yesterday afternoon, as I spent some more time in that in that scripture, is, is the responsibility. And, you know, as long as we're hanging on to our rights, I love that, that you really focused in on that. As long as we're asserting those rights, I think it's kind of hard to step into the responsibility. What What is or at least leads me to question, well, what is my real responsibility? Yeah. Is it my responsibility to go out and dictate how everything should be? Or is it my res- my responsibility to lay down my rights um, and to allow God to use me where, where he would have me? You know, just use a real-time example. You brought up the idea that they're building an, est- an establishment in your community that you don't want your kids to be around. And, and you know, and it's like, so if you apply some of what we're talking to, to that scenario, you might get better traction sitting down with your boys and talking to them and letting them hear the heart of the father for uh, respecting women and their, their mom and, and you know just uh, how to deal with things in their lives as men and young men and you know you might get much more traction in in the lives of human beings. Than going down and joining a protest movement and standing out in front with signs, this is this is Satan's pit, or you know what I mean? <laughs> Ban the abomination. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. That is a perfect example. Well, I, I, I do want to go on on record as saying that was completely fictitious. I pulled it out of the air. It's not really yeah, hypothetical. It's not really happening. Um, but I. I you know, those are the types of things yeah. we hear about in local news all the time. Okay, then yeah. hypothetically, you'll have more of a chance to change the world operating at the family level. And the areas of influence are that, that you know, like throwing a rock in a pool and the rings go out. 
uh, that's the area of in, that's the area of influence that we have as well. Yeah. And what has the greater value? I, mm-hmm. I guess telling somebody what not to do, or showing them the better way of yeah. what to do. Yeah, and teaching that and teaching, instilling training, that, modeling, 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 modeling. living it, living it yourself, living but it up, overcoming, overcoming the temptation, overcoming the right. sin, overcoming the you know the fear, rather than avoiding. Yeah. Or separating or isolating. Yeah. 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 Or mandating the world the way I want it to be. So yeah. I don't have to deal with that. Demanding it <coughs> our way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 A lot of, most of Paul's pastoral letters in the New Testament really can be approached from the perspective that we're saying that he begins by sharing the right way to think about things, the right way to think about God, the right way to think about your relationships. And then the second half of the letter will be the application of once you've thought correctly, this is how you'll see it in the relationships around you and yeah. in the things that you do. So you awesome. can break down a lot of a lot of his letters that way. That right thinking will dictate right action on yeah. people's parts. Yeah. When we arrive, sons and daughters will make our homes on the water. We'll build our walls. Aluminum will fill our mouths with cinnamon now. These currents pull us across the border. Steady your boats, arms to shoulder, till tides all pull or hold the grounds making this call. Take up your arms, sons and daughters, we will arise from the bunkers, by land, by sea, by the ridge of all, we'll leave our tracks untraceable now.